listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So we're, we're in this season of Epiphany, uh, new every morning, finding things out about God. And what we're looking at today, I mean, we titled the services Coats and Shirts, uh, which is, or maybe it's Shirts and Coats, Shirts and Coats. So I have, on a, I have on a shirt and I have on a coat. Jesus does talk about giving away your coat and shirt. Don't worry, I'm not going to undress. I know some of you are worried about that. But um, it's, it's about an economy. Like this, what's being revealed, the, the epiphany, maybe last week and this week too, is that God's economy is being revealed. That is how God works, how God behaves. So the, the term economy... When you hear it, you might just think finances, but I want you to think in more kind of broad terms here. It comes from two Greek words, oikos and namos. Oikos means house, or maybe better yet, home. And namos means law or rule. So it's like a rule for the home. Like if our home, you know, it's not just like autonomy, right? Autonomy also comes from two, two Greek words. You can kind of hear the onomy at the end. So the first is autos, which means like the self, and namas, or the rule, or the law. So autonomy is like a rule to yourself. You're autonomous when you can do things for yourself. And all of us want to experience a certain level of autonomy, right? I have six girls, and they're from ages 31 to 10, so they experience different levels of autonomy. I look back a little Oliver back there. He does not have a lot of autonomy at the moment, as his dad's kind of feeding him a bottle, right? He's like little bitty. There's no autonomy in Oliver's life. In fact, there's hardly any differentiation between Oliver and his parents at this point. But autonomy does have an end, right? The rule of the self, the fact that we can clothe ourselves and feed ourselves and, and you know, kind of take care of our basic needs, comes to an end when it comes into contact with the rule of the other, the rule of the house, and whether the house is like our house, like the home we live in, and our nuclear family who happens to be living in the same house or apartment we are, or this larger house that we live in, like the community, uh, the neighborhood, the city, the state, the, the country, or maybe even the world, right? There is, there is uh, rules for how that function. Now, the Old Testament passage for today, which we didn't read, we almost uh, shared a video that kind of told the story. Um, it was a little long, and it had a little bit of kind of slapstick humor, so I decided to go against it, so I'll summarize it. It's a story about Joseph, and it's, it's not about the end of the story where Joseph seems to get a little complicit, maybe more than a little complicit in some bad things that happen. It's kind of closer to the beginning of the story. Joseph is, he, he is already um, living, like he's embodying this economy of God. It's kind of, it's an upside down, it's paradoxical, it's not what you might expect. It's, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. As we said last week, blessed are the poor and woe to you if you're rich. Or blessed are those who are weeping or woe to you or warning for you if you're not weeping. You know, blessed are those um, who are persecuted, uh, a warning for those of you who aren't persecuted. Like that's, that's a weird Weird economy, right? The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Is that just poetry? What's Jesus talking about? Well, Joseph was kind of living 
that upside-down or inverted economy. I mean, he's the one who, by all means, we would have said had been uh, cursed, right? He's the one who had found himself forsaken by his family, enslaved by kind of a foreign ruler, and then landed himself in jail. But at this point in the story, the story that the, the Old Testament lection focuses on this morning, he has now been uh, placed in a position of power. And it's his older brothers who have come down from ancient Canaan into Egypt, and they don't, they don't recognize him. They don't know that that's their brother, because he was young when he got sold away, and this is now years and years later. But he recognizes them. And he doesn't immediately say, hey, hey, it's me, it's Joseph. He kind of uh, plays a little coy. His cards are close to his chest. And he wants to know how they now feel about what had gone down when it had gone bad for Joseph. And so um, he he kind of quizzes them, interrogates them just a bit. And he's like, is this all your family? And they're like, well, we got one brother is up with our dad and mom, and they're still there. And he says, is that it? And they're kind of like, well... We had one more, but we mistreated him, and now he's lost. He's gone to us. And he saw their remorse. He saw that they were contrite. And he's like, well, ta-da! It's me. It's Joseph. It's your brother who you thought you had lost. And now, not only am I not lost, but I'm in a position to help provide. Go get, go get the rest of the family. Bring them down. We have more than enough here to care for them. So we see, at least at that part of Joseph's life, how this, this kind of love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you economy works in Joseph's life. Let's come back, though, um, to, to the gospel. So in the gospel, there's all sorts of things that are being said here, like love your enemies. Obviously, that doesn't seem right. Like That doesn't seem to be the right thing to do but yet it is what Jesus tells us to do. I've told you before that there are other great religious leaders, uh, some some of whom are part of the larger Christian history and some of whom are not, who have said things like, love your neighbor, right? Moses said, love your neighbor. It's recorded in Leviticus. Uh, Muhammad said, love your neighbor. It's recorded in the Quran. But Jesus says, not just love your neighbor, but Jesus says, Love your enemy. Now, that's, that's a step beyond. And then he goes on. I mean, part of this is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? I love the golden rule. It's easier, it's easier to talk about than it is to practice. I prefer to love others the way I... I mean, let me say this. Um, little, little therapy note for you. Uh, forgive the, the side point here. But when you are loving the others as you would like to be loved, or however the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, when you're practicing that, right, um, you have to be careful that what you would like done to you is not necessarily what they would like done to them, right? You should do to them what they want done to them, not do to them what you would want done to you. Um, There you go. That's a side point, right? So... In those whole love languages things that people talk about, try your best to know who you're loving and love the way they want to be loved, not the way you want to be loved, because that's just self-service. And that's not doing to others as you would like done to you. That's doing to others um, like, like you would want them. Well, that sounds close, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, listen, understand what I mean here, not, not what I'm saying. 
But yeah, this, this golden rule. So how does, how does this play out? Well, it has the whole turn the other cheek. Matthew mentions that as well. Matthew will also say, go the second mile. Luke doesn't mention that one. But he does say, if they sue you for your coat, give them your shirt as well. Which, in our context, does not sound all that um, problematic, right? If someone was coming after my jacket, I could give them my jacket. If they wanted my shirt, you know, I could go get a shirt. Like, I have a lot of jackets and have a lot of shirts. Just go into the closet. In fact, who would sue you for a piece of clothing anyway? That sounds kind of bizarre. So typically, if you're being sued, if you're taken to court, what is it that someone else wants from you? It's not rhetorical. What is it? Money, yes, exactly. They want money from you. So if someone's being taken, from, taken to court and we're, what we're taking from the person who is losing is their coat, it suggests that they don't have any money. Like we're, we're taking their possessions now because they actually lack money. And in the ancient world, most people would not have had um, lots of clothing. You probably would have had like a couple of garments. And if it were cold, you'd wear both of them. And if it were hot, you would wear one of them. You didn't have like a closet to go to and get extra clothes from. And another side note, perhaps. Uh, this is before the days of Fruit of the Loom or, or BVD or whoever makes your underwear. And so since they didn't have underwear, if you give them your outer garment that they've sued you for and then you give them your other garment as well, what does that suggest? That's also not rhetorical. They're naked. Yes, exactly. Um, you, you weren't expecting that, I know. Like, nice, polite people don't talk about nakedness, certainly not in the midst of sermons, which is, I think, exactly what some of the people who heard Jesus say that thought. Like, some of them laughed. Like, I like this rabbi. He's kind of edgy. Did you hear that naked joke he told? But others were like, ah, that's not very respectful. I don't like that rabbi. Why can't, he, why can't he be more proper, right? Naked jokes. It's unbecoming of a good rabbi. So Jesus, Jesus tells us that one. But then the economy gets a little stranger. He talks about judge, not unless you be judged. Don't condemn, lest you be condemned. And so we're seeing there's some kind of reciprocal behavior in this economy. And it says, forgive and you shall be forgiven, Give, and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I do know a lot of you pretty well. And your background is not that different than mine. Um, so in your church settings, those of you who have heard that give, and it shall be given, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, at what point in the service is that passage of Scripture typically evoked? The offering, exactly. We do it at the offering. Because we want people to give. Now, this is not the time for our offering, but this is the gospel passage for today. Give and you shall be given. Now, certainly there is some truth that, that um, giving to God, investing, works that way. Like there's, there is some kind of return on a good investment. That, that is true. And there are even parts of Scripture that we'll, we'll talk about. There's this passage in Galatians about reaping what you sow that I think might speak to this. But in this context, he's talking most, the, the most, uh, the closest literary context. He's saying, don't judge and you won't be judged. 
Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it shall be given. So do you see the parallelism, parallelism there? Right, there's two things you don't do and two things you do do. Right, You <clears throat> don't judge, you won't be judged. Don't condemn, you won't be condemned. Give, uh, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you, shaken down, pressed together and running over. Now, let me ask this. Is the judgment and, con- and condemnation, are those two different things? Or, in good poetic fashion, is not judging and not condemning kind of two different ways of saying the same thing? Right? Don't judge, you won't be judged. Don't condemn, you won't be condemned. I'm going to say that's basically the same thing. It's just coming at us twice because this is kind of poetic. Don't judge, you won't be judged. Don't condemn, you won't be condemned. Then, that's the two don'ts, right? Now we get the two do's. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given. I take those to also be in the same kind of parallel. And that's when we get this additional explanation. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So, what is it that will always come back to us that way? It's forgiveness. Forgiveness is what comes back to you, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. Sometimes you give, and if you give sacrificially, you've given all you have, and then you don't have. Like, that, that is a reality. There are folks on the planet who love the Lord and who will go hungry today. There are folks on the planet who love the Lord and today will be the last day they live, right? They, they won't get healed this day. We know that. We know that's true. Like, like following Christ is inevitably a way of suffering. If you're going to be my disciple, Jesus will say, you must take, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's, it's not all a bed of roses. It's not always good. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's tough. Maybe a lot of times it's tough. But this you can know is true. Some things do come back at you almost reciprocally, like a smile. When you smile at somebody, typically they smile back. Sometimes if you smile at them and they don't smile back, it means you've offered some kind of creepy smile (laughs) and you should leave them alone, right? But forgiveness, forgiveness comes back to us in that way. When we are a forgiving uh, person, when we are forgiving people, forgiveness comes back at us multifold, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be generous in our giving. I think we should. And I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't bless the cheerful giver. I think the Lord does. What I am saying is I don't think this passage of Scripture is talking about that reality. This passage of Scripture is talking about forgiveness and the way in which forgiveness comes back at us. This is the economy of God. This is the way that God works. It's the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's the blessed is the poor and the mournful and those who are persecuted And it's the warning for those who aren't. Like, that's the economy. That's the epiphany. That's who our God is. That's who we are called to be. 
it is, it is a life that is countercultural. So it doesn't really matter kind of how you fit into a national identity because the national identity, as much as it longs to differentiate uh, its you know, opposing sides, like which side are you on? You've heard that before. Maybe you've said it yourself. There is no way for this to fit into that. So Tim Keller, he's kind of a popular preacher from New York City. Um, he was once asked which political system Christians best fit into, Republicans or Democrats. And he said, neither. Like, Christians don't fit into that system. It's a different system. We, it's not that we don't have a political view. It's that our political view is the politics of the kingdom. We have a body politic, and here is our body politic. Who are we for? We're for people. That's who we're for. Those who are created in the image of God and those who bear the image of God. And who in particular are, do we want to care for? Well, the ones who are otherwise in need and marginalized. That's who we care for. The widows, the orphans, the poor, the hungry, the sick, the imprisoned, the naked. These are the ones. These are the ones that, are, that our Lord is calling us to. And that, again, that is the economy of the gospel. It's the economy of the kingdom. And it is, it is so, again, kind of contrary to the way in which we would typically live our lives. We come to the table. It is the Lord's table. It is, it is open to all. And it involves everyone. Well, what about folks from different races? Yes, it involves all those different races. What about folks from different nationalities? It involves all those people from different nationalities. What about folks from different genders? Yes, it includes all the genders. What about age, right? Yes, it includes all the age. What about education? Yes, it includes all levels of education. What about economic status? Yes, it includes all levels of economic status. This, this is how our lines are drawn. They've been drawn in ways that are different than other folks. Some of you have been around long enough to remember uh, we're, we're, Oasis is going to turn 25 this fall. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, at our 20th anniversary, we did a series uh, to kind of celebrate our 20th anniversary, uh, and we created, this stage was pushed up against the, the, the larger stage, and we built a well there. And we did, well, the plan was to do um, four sermons. We ended up doing three because a hurricane came through. And we had to cancel service one day. But I don't know if you remember that. But we, we had planned four. We ended up doing three. And all three sermons were on the same passage of Scripture. We did three sermons in a row on the woman at the well in Samaria. Uh, Phil did two of them, and I did one of them. I guess I was the one who had the hurricane day. So I got the hurricane day off, Right? But what we said then, and what I still believe now, is who we are here at Oasis are folks who dig deep wells. Like, we, we trust in God. We believe in Christ. We are full of the Spirit. And that calls us to be, to behave differently in the world. And so if somebody can't guess our politics, well, it's because... They're using categories that we don't fit in. Like, it's not, out, we don't define ourselves by our borders. Our borders are, are blurry. Like, 
at the edges, like who's in and who's out, is not the easiest thing for us to define. Like, like who says Oasis is their home church? Hopefully all of you do. You're here, right? That, this, that you're an Oasian. This is your church, right? I'm your pastor. That's part of the deal. Don't get offended, right? I love you, right? So th- this is the church. You're a part of it. But we don't, again, we don't mark the boundaries out there to know just who's in and just who's out. So we have a lot of folks who might be Oasis adjacent, right, or, or friends of Oasis. Um, like this, this is their home when they're around. Certainly that goes for college students and snowbirds. But certainly since COVID, I don't know. I don't even know how to measure that anymore. But I know this. We want to consistently preach the gospel, as clearly and as creatively as we can. And in a season of epiphany, when things should be revealed, this shouldn't be, this shouldn't be coy in any way. It shouldn't be hidden. Like, I'm not, you're not trying to have to guess at what I'm trying to say. I, I want you to, to hear this. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do not seek retaliation. I almost said, um, don't seek the treasure. It's from uh, old brother Arthur. Yeah. Yeah, don't seek it. The treasure is, is fool's gold. The treasure is a red herring. The, that way of identifying ourselves by who we are against, it's not how we do this. There's this other story in the gospel. It's not part of our reading today, but I think it's apropos for what I'm trying to say here. James and John had just asked Jesus, uh, when you come into your kingdom, King Jesus, right? When you're the king, when your government is set up, when your economy is, is at work, can we be first and second, right? Can we be like the vice president and like the second vice president? And Jesus' response was, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? <laughs> Which I think that is a little, that is a little coy. You've got to kind of decipher that one. But he says, when I'm announced as king, it's not for me to say who's on my left and right. But I'll tell you this today. You all will follow me, and you will face what I face. Now, Peter, James, and John had just come down from the mountain of transfiguration, where they had seen Jesus transformed into a figure of light. The disciples had been trying to cast a demon out of a boy, but had failed to do so. So Jesus had to come and deliver the child. And then James and John, who have argued about who can be the first and second. This is in Mark's telling of the story. Matthew's telling the story. It's their mom who asked, (laughs) which I've always felt bad for them for that, right? Like all of us, back to a sense of autonomy, um, we don't want our mothers calling our bosses saying, can we get, you know, a raise? Like my mom, may she rest in peace. If she'd ever called the college and it's like, Robbie's a really hard worker. Can you promote him? He's been an assistant professor for a long time. Can he become an associate professor? Like, no one wants that, right? And now for all eternity, we all know because Matthew wrote it down. <laughs> Interesting, Mark didn't, right? Or Luke, but Matthew, man, he didn't let, he was a fellow disciple. He didn't let those boys off the hook. He's like, their mom came and asked Jesus if they could be the first number one and number two. Right, so at that point, James and John see 
someone else who's not part of their group, not one of the twelve, not one of the disciples, sees someone else casting out a demon in the name of Jesus. And they said, hey, Jesus, should we go over there and stop that guy casting out demons in your name? He's not even in your school. You're not, you're not even his rabbi. Who does he think he is? Jesus' response was this. No. His, his unsaid response was, at least he can cast out a demon. <laughs> um, that's, that's his unsaid response. But his said response is this. If they're not against us, they're for us. Which is completely different than saying, if they're not for us, they're against us. That might sound similar, but it's not, right? If they're not against us, they're for us, right? So we, we, we have deep wells. We, this is who we are. But we can look around Lakeland or Polk County or even over into Hillsborough or, or around, and we can see other folks doing similar things. And what we say is, God bless you. You know, may the Spirit empower you. We're not in competition with those who do what's right, with those who do what's just, with those who do what's good. For all of truth is God's truth, and all of goodness is God's goodness, and all of beauty is God's beauty. And so this is the economy in which we live. Unexpected. Hard maybe to square with the ways of the world because we're a round peg and the world is a square hole. That's why we don't fit. But God is loving us into our roundness. (laughs) And through us, God, I think, is going to love the world into a roundness. The arc of the universe may be long, but it bends towards justice. It may be long, but given time, God's going to kind of bend that thing around. And so that these round pegs that he's made us into be will have a round place to be. I think that's good news. And I think that's the epiphany of these days. So be prepared. Be prepared to look different, to act different, to speak different. Be prepared to be the kind of people who don't retaliate, who embrace uh, nonviolence, who seek uh, justice, who care for others. And as the text said, and it was pretty hard-hitting, right? So Luke might not have brought up that bit about, hey, it was their mom, actually, that asked for their promotion. But he did say this, you love those who love for you? Great. And that's actually a very good translation of what was said there. Yeah. You love those who love you, whoop-de-doo. Right? Anybody can do that. You, you respond well to people who respond well to you? Fantastic. Now, let's try smiling at those who don't smile at us. Let's try treating with kindness those who don't treat us kind. Right? Let's try working for justice for people who will never be in a position to return in kind. Like that, I think, 
is the very heart of this economy of God, right? Eternal love, constantly deferring and preferring the other. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.